the Women's Football Podcast, shining a light on the women's game. Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, episode 17, I think it is. Uh, your usual lineup is once again behind the microphone. I'm Hamish, and I'd like to welcome back Kieran. Welcome back. Thanks a lot, mate. Feel a little bit bad about breaking up the bromance between you and Andy Spence. Yeah, I love that guy. I love that guy. You've done pretty well in my absence. You uh, return with a bang. Yeah, we've got a few interviews for this episode. We haven't got an awful lot to talk about ourselves. We thought we'd let the players do the talking. So I have gone away and interviewed a young Australian sensation, BT Goad, who is obviously quite pleased at the moment, having just won the W League with Melbourne Victory. And I've also spoken to former Seattle Reign striker Christina Larson, who's taken a slightly different path um, for the next year or so. So I wanted to see how she's getting on and what she's up to. Excellent. And I haven't been lazy in the absence either. Uh, I've got the other half of the debate that we started on the last show with Andy Spence. Uh, I caught up with Emma Hayes to discuss uh, her policy of bringing in foreigners. So uh, let's get going. The Women's Football Podcast would like to thank our partners. Want more women's football? Subscribe to She Kicks magazine at shekicks.net. And the Women's Football Podcast is part of the Soccer Desk Network. The Soccer Desk. So, as I mentioned on the last show, we discussed with Everton Ladies Manager Andy Spence about his policy of bringing through young English talent uh, in the argument of a number of foreigners coming into the league as opposed to bringing through young English players. We decided for this episode we would talk to someone who represented the other side. Now, Chelsea Ladies Manager Emma Hayes has brought in a number of players from around the world. She has done so last season, she has done so this season. So I spoke to her about her reasons for doing so. Well, Emma, welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. You've been quite busy in the off-season, brought through a, a number of players. Yes, uh, you know, we had to make some wholesale changes. I think Chelsea's position the last few years, um, you know, was a clear indicator that there had to be change. Um, so we wanted to focus the priority of that off-season uh, recruiting with, with bringing in the, the strongest British talent. Uh, and you've certainly done that with, with two signings from, from Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, not just them two. I mean, Laura Bassett and Rachel Williams, you know, you know, they're all, you know, top quality English player. Um, so, you know, we felt that we had to improve the spine of the team. And, uh, you know, this time last year, I wasn't in a position to bring them top players in from, from England. So it's been our priority this year. You've also added a few others from around the world. Yeah, I've added uh, in particular, you know, Ji Su Yun, um, you know, a solid, uh, you know, creative attacking player. I think fans will, you know, be happy to see. And, uh, you know, a younger player who's coming in on the development side along with uh, the Swedish girl, Emma Williamson. So I didn't feel there is, there's not enough depth in this country. Um, so in order to sort of raise the standards of the league, um, I think it's important that we have the very best international players, uh, not just many of them. Do you feel then you've got that right this time around? Because obviously you brought through a couple last season that perhaps didn't work out. To be honest with 
I, I didn't get a budget approval from from uh, Chelsea until January of last year. So I didn't have a lot of time to build a, a team. So we just wanted to raise the profile of, um, you know, of the club. Um, we weren't able to attract the best talent. Um, but we also used the season a lot to, to blood our young players that are coming through our centre of excellence. Um, but you have to be careful how you manage that because, you know, it's one thing to give young players opportunities, but they have to be ready for it. Um, it has to be it has to be right for them. Um, but we're, we're ultimately convinced of the likes of Rachel Williams, you know, Katie Chapman, Jilly Flaherty, um, you know, that we, we will be in a position um, to help develop those young players. And then if we can help to improve the professionalism, which I think is something that, you know, needs to improve in this country. You know, um, I've worked abroad in the best leagues, and, and one thing I've learned about international players is that they have incredible professional training habits. And I thought that I think that that's the best, you know, some of the best ways to show good examples to, to our young players. And certainly you've seen an impact on those young players already. No question. I mean, when I'm speaking to a young Jody Brett, you know, 17 years of age, to, to watch the movement of Ji Su Yan, watch how she, you know, the extra sessions she looks to put in. For me, that's a positive role model. And I don't think we've been professional in this country before. And therefore, you know, how can we expect just because you give people, you know, money to be professional, it doesn't mean they, they know what it takes to do that. Um, I think Picking up habits from international players is what will help our players become more and more professional um, because I still think we're some way off that. Do you feel then that you agree or disagree with the argument that obviously with these international players coming in, does that limit the chances for young players or is it down? Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. You have to be good enough. Um, and I think if we had a league solely of English players, how do you expect the league to get better? You know, it doesn't doesn't work like that. You you have to have some better players. You know, good players make players better. End of subject. You know, yes, good environments and good coaching, but I'm convinced that that uh, you know a Rachel Williams will benefit playing off of a Yuki Agimi, or a young Laura Rafferty, young central defender. I've got will benefit with, with the experience from an Emma Williamson, as well as you know the top English players. I think people. Um, I think in general, people are overreacting. Um, to the situation in, in this country. I think if you want the top lead, you, ca you can't solely rely just on English players because that's the way the league was before and it wasn't a top league. Um, I think we have to make sure that we have rules in place, that there's plenty of homegrown opportunities within clubs. And as long as clubs are focusing on bringing the very best internationals in, you know, and, that, and, and perhaps we should question that rather than just internationals. Seems to me it's a little bit of a xenophobic um, feeling in in women's football in this country, and I don't I don't think think it's appropriate. No, absolutely. Uh, so uh, let's uh, let's move on to the league as a whole. Obviously, it's going to be a major challenge for you to do better than last season because all teams have improved. Yeah, definitely. I mean, teams have improved in in a lot of clubs. Their budgets have improved. You know, I think there's probably only two clubs, perhaps, that, uh, you know, are forced to develop solely homegrown talent because perhaps they don't have the resources um, to attract top players from, 
from around the globe. And I think when you have a relegation and promotion system, the bottom line is you have to stay in the league. Um, and that's everybody's priority. Um, I think it will be the comp most competitive season yet uh, in the Super League. Um, I think there is still um, some work to do to make sure we get the right games programme. I still don't think we play enough games in England. Um, but we tend to cram them all in short periods of time, which I hope the FA will look to change in the future. Uh, but, you know, it'll be a competitive league and Chelsea will be a better team. But, um, you know, I don't expect us to challenge for the title. Uh, why is that? Because I, there's too many, you know, we've got too many new players. We're still, um, you know, I think trying to develop uh, a bigger picture at the club. You know, we have, um, yes, we've brought in, you know, seven new signings, but my experience of working with new teams in the United States proves that it's incredibly difficult to do that when teams have been established. So when you've got a Bristol who have been together, you know, plus years, or, a, you know, a Liverpool squad who stayed together plus strength, and I think that makes that... Um, challenging for Chelsea but you know I, I, I'm certain that we will get better as a team and our target is a, a top four finish Absolutely, uh, just finally obviously it is going to be an exciting season but no matter what side of the argument you're on about the foreigners versus bringing through youngsters debate does having clubs with different philosophies just add to the excitement? Yeah of course, I mean you know but with equally clubs that perhaps have may have done well in this league need to accept it's evolving and that there are bigger opportunities perhaps for some players to play at clubs that support them to be professionals and we can only support that um, you know I think uh, I, I think that, that perhaps there's, I, I think there's an overreaction to the number of foreigners coming through for the simple reason being I don't think our talent pool is that deep yet for us to be in positions to, you can't have both, you can't have the best league in the world and have that be all from England, it's not possible. So we have to make sure we get the balance right so we develop enough homegrown. Um, I should imagine the majority of each team will be English, if not British, you know, and um, you know, I think that the, the international players bring a healthy um, competition and good professional habits that our young and best players can learn from. The Women's Football Podcast. Want more views from those in the game? Read the blog at thewfblog.wordpress.com. So, Chelsea boss Emma Hayes with her opinion there. And, Kieran, this is a, a debate that's going to continue rumbling on. I'm going to point to something that I think links both Andy's and Emma's arguments, which is providing the quality of international player comes into the league, then it will benefit the English game. It's just the ones that perhaps aren't that world-class level. I would probably agree with that. I think we need to maintain... a focus on our young players of course we do but as I said in a previous podcast when Desiree Scott signed for Notts County I think it's only going to benefit English players to play alongside internationals from all over the world because they bring an experience to the game they also bring a different style to our game as well so I, I, I think for me it's a good idea I think it's nice that we're going to have these players over 
But I agree with what Andy and Emma say in that we need world-class players and we need players of a high level. Absolutely. I mean, the other thing that we've got to consider is that football is an entertainment industry as well. You know, we want to go up to games, we want to pay our money and we want to be entertained. It's got to be worth the admission price, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, and I will be honest in saying that I think if you want to be an England international in this country, you need to be playing in the WSL. And I know that that will upset a few people. There are some brilliant, brilliant players in the lower levels in England, um, in the FA Women's Premier League. I've seen them for myself before anyone starts tweeting us and saying that we're not supporting lower leagues. We are, I can assure you. But if you want to be an England international, you will find that the majority of players are playing in this country are playing in the WSL. And for them to be able to develop and for them to be able to take their game onto the next level, surely it's going to be beneficial for players to come up against the likes of Yuki Agimi. Surely it's going to be beneficial for midfield players in this country to come up against Desiree Scott. So why wouldn't we want to see some of these players? But I think it's important that we maintain that focus on young English players and, and bringing them through. I do also think that uh, another point that I raised to Emma also was it's great for all these clubs to have the different philosophies in how they bring in players to the first team squad. You know, obviously Everton pride themselves in bringing through young players. Emma Hayes at Chelsea wants to bring the best possible talent from international shores that she can. It just it adds to the excitement. You know, you've got different clubs with different philosophies trying to compete on an equal keel. And let's be fair to Emma. She's not just focused on international players. She's brought in Rachel Williams, who is an England international. She's brought in Katie Chapman, who has made it quite clear that she would like to represent England again. And she brought in Jilly Flaherty as well. Who and is, Laura Bassett. And, and Laura Bassett. Yeah, absolutely. So that's four England internationals that she's brought in. So people can point the finger at Emma because of the players that she's brought in from abroad. But she's mixed it up quite well. And I think that's credit to her. She's clearly noticed that probably didn't get it right last season with the Icelandic girls, with Esther, with Sophia Jakobsen, none of which are here now. So she's really mixed it up. And, and there are some good young players at Chelsea. Um, Jodie Brett is one that I really like. I think she's going to have a an influence as the seasons go on. And, and there are others there as well. So I think I think Emma's probably got a nice balance there, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, I think she has. But uh, this debate also is starting to rumble with the NWSL because there's two internationals that have been signed by uh, clubs over the uh, over the way. It's probably a debate that I triggered, if I'm honest with you. I don't think it's something that they're necessarily talking about. But been well, back five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, we need to. We want to interact with people. So, I mean, this week, uh, Washington Spirit signed uh, Danish international Cecily Sanvej and Western New York Flash signed uh, Barcelona player Vicky. Lasada. So I put a tweet out asking the American followers that we've got, are you concerned by the internationals that are coming? Obviously, NWSL clubs were allocated an extra international spot this season. So essentially, I put a tweet out, are you concerned by the number of internationals that are joining the NWSL? Is it detrimental to US talent? So we had a number of tweets in, really good response. So let's rattle through some of them. So Chris said, a concern, but think level of competition is higher with top talented players in the NWSL, which helps drafted players to develop quicker. I also think top talent brings in the revenue in sponsors, etc., that helps players earn a better wage. And that's important. We want players to be earning a good wage so that they can earn a good living. Um, Just Coy said, same here. I'm not too worried about internationals. Internationals help American players and fans learn about different playing styles. 
Sandy said, I find it positive. High level of competition helps development and growth. Plus, I believe the future is towards a more global game. Uh, Tiffany said, I love when the league brings internationals, makes the NWSL more competitive, gives us a lot of talent to watch and entertain us. JL Hayes said, we can have both. One benefit of the cap is teams finding internationals that don't command the big money. JM Clark said, internationals add flair, but don't want it to crowd out local talent. Tougher for a fan base to bond with all hired guns. And I'll finish off with our German correspondent, Brian Maguire, who brought it into the, the views from the German perspective. And he said, Tabina Potsdam combines both international players and brings through youth players. An example of which is Ada Hegerberg and Paulina Bremer. So those are the views of um, supporters out in the States. I think what's important to mention is that in America, there are probably other outlets where players can develop as well. There's obviously the USW League, which we know Rachel Daly, who is an England international, is playing for LA Blues out there. Um, but also the collegiate system seems to really work well. You know, We've got players like Morgan Bryan, who have, has had a number of international caps already. There are a couple more that are in Tom Samani's Algarve Cup squad. So, Which you've forgotten the names of. I have. I know Christy Mewis's sister is one of them, um, but the other the other one has completely escaped my mind. Um, so poor on my part for not doing my research. I apologise. But yeah, so three international, three players from the college system shows that there are other avenues for players to to come through. Crystal Dunn is another one who's currently injured, but Crystal's obviously had a number of international appearances as well. So um, it's an interesting one. Really, really interesting. Absolutely. Now it's useful that you've ended on uh, Brian Maguire because to be in a Potsdam. If we're talking about best practice, it's certainly working for them because they're challenging at the top of the uh, German division. Yeah, they've just gone second on the day that we're recording because Frankfurt have just won their game 3-0 today. But I watched uh, Potsdam against... Uh, oh, who did they play yesterday? They were away from home against Jena. And Good save. Won. Yeah, they won 2-0. Uh, Ada Hegerberg led the line nicely but didn't get on the score sheet. Uh, but they, they, look, they look promising at the moment. Obviously, they've had a good Champions League run so far this season but they're looking good near the top of the the Bundesliga but the the big shock was Wolfsburg lost to Bayern Munich um about 10 days ago so big shock for them was it 10 days ago was it this week can't remember but they lost they did lose and it's the first defeat that they've had in any competition this season so the Frauen Bundesliga is looking really good. It's very competitive at the top. Wolfsburg are actually five points off the pace at the moment, so they'll be a little bit worried, I think. Maybe yeah. a little bit all to do, all to do. There's also a, a little shock in France because it's not Lyon at the top of the table. However, probably shouldn't look too much into that at the moment. No, PSG are top. They, uh, they won 3-0 against Guignon. Um, nice yeah. <laughs> finally the French accent comes in handy yeah, well, we discussed it before and how the hell would you pronounce that yeah Guignon they beat 3-0 uh, last night day after um, that we're recording um, and they are top at the moment but Lyon's game was postponed so they do possess a game in hand and if they win that which they likely will do uh, they will go back top of the league but I think what's nice is that it's nice to see someone else top I don't think there can be any point in time that Leon haven't been top unless it's at the start of the season where there's no games played and it's alphabetical order. So, yeah, good to see. Nice competition. So we'll have to see how that one pans out. Absolutely. Now, after this, we're going to turn our attentions to the Southern Hemisphere and Kieran can finally own his corn in this uh, episode. Download and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Just search for Women's Football Podcast.
So, ironically, uh, given our discussion on bringing through youth talent, we turn our attentions to the Southern Hemisphere, and it has been quite a year for BT Goad, the 16-year-old who plays for Champions Melbourne. And uh, here she is talking to Kieran. joined by 16-year-old Australian superstar BC Goad who is pretty happy at the moment as one week on from winning the W League final she is now a name that is much more familiar to people so BT thank you very much for joining us on the show thank you that's okay <laughs> so let's jump straight into the interview obviously it's a week on from winning the W League final against Brisbane how has it been for you in the days afterwards it's been very overwhelming I've had to really get on and get a grip on what I've just achieved and it's all very surreal. What's the reaction been of your friends and your family? You're a young girl, 16 years old. It's it's a lot to take in, I can imagine, for someone your age. Yeah, all my friends and family are so ecstatic and I had a lot of friends come to the game and they were really loud and, <laughs> and I'm so grateful to be able to share with such great people in my life. What was it like playing in that final, obviously against a team that Melbourne Victory had never actually beaten in the W League? How was the attitude in the changing room beforehand? Was there any apprehension or anything like that? Well, I think we had already been in a grand final last year. And so in the change room, we were all very focused last year. I think there was a bit of a focus. But this year, we really just pretended that it was just another game and we just had to go out there and play our own game and I think we knew that it was possible to win so we just had to do what we had been doing all season. How tough was it because that Brisbane team's got a lot of Matildas players in it obviously you're coming up against players that have got a lot of caps between them how did you find it? Well while I was sitting there in the change room I was very nervous thinking about all the big names on the field. But once I was out there, I just focused on what I had to do and not zoned out, but didn't focus on rather than names, just just playing the game of football. You obviously get to play alongside some some high-profile internationals, the likes of Lisa Devanna, Jess Fishlock, Steph Catley. How has it been for your development playing alongside those sort of players? It has been absolutely fantastic for my development. They have given me such great support and advice and really given me confidence on the field that I probably would not have had if they weren't there. First game of the season, Melbourne lose 5-1 to Sydney. You're not even in the squad. Could you have ever imagined last Sunday when you're lifting that trophy at the start of the season? Oh, definitely not. (laughs) I thought I would just be a train on all year, but um, once I got a little bit of game time, I sort of thought, well, I can I can do this. I can go a little bit better. And I guess I just haven't looked back. Because obviously you started out making a few substitute appearances and you really hit the scene when you got a goal four minutes after coming on against Western Sydney. What was it like to to get your first goal for the club and and to really make an impact so quickly? Getting my first goal was, wow, I can't really describe it in words. I was so happy and excited and thrilled. 
but also really um, looking forward to what I could do in the future. It really gave me confidence about how I can how I can play and how I was. I gave me a good step forward to be able to think that I can I can start in this team. And how how do you feel you developed over the course of the season? We mentioned some of the players that you've been playing alongside. Do you feel that your performances improved based on the fact that you got to play in such a good team week in week out? Yes, definitely. My performance has improved. Um, I, last at the start of last year, I was not this good, or not not even had this experience. I guess this season I've. Um, been able to experience all these different experiences with all these different players and that's really helped me as a player. Now Dave Edmondson, your former coach, is coming over to England to manage Bristol Academy. It's a club over here that's renowned for developing young players and really bringing them through. How has he helped your game and how do you think he's going to you know, help Bristol along with developing their young players? Dave has helped me so much. He, previous to Melbourne Victory, he was my NTC coach, which is a sort of state development coach. And so he's had me for two years now, and he has been absolutely fantastic. He always giving me advice when I didn't know what to do or when I was a bit unsure of myself. And he's always really put confidence in myself. And so I think when he goes to Bristol, um, he'll do fantastic over there. I think he can really give confidence to girls and um, he really knows what he's doing, yeah. And obviously coming back to you, uh, not only are you playing in the top flight in Australia, you're also having to balance your football commitments with your studies as well. Now, I read that you missed out on a French exchange trip to Toulouse and that you were falling a little bit behind. How is the French going now? <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's, it's not too bad. I've had to watch a few more French films and get involved more with my French homework. But yeah, it's coming along. It's not obviously not as good as the other girls, but um, I'll get there in the end. How hard is it, or how hard has it been? Obviously, the the commitments that you've had with Melbourne, you admitted that you weren't expecting to be as involved with the first team squad as you have been. You know, for a sixteen-year-old to have to do one or the other would be pretty stressful, but to have to do both, how have you managed that? I think that if I had, didn't have an outlet or something else to do, I would probably um, be unsettled. I'm very, I like to be busy, so I can plan out my day and I get things done faster when I'm busy. So I guess it actually works for me because if I have a lot of time, I don't get things done very well. So it's good, quite good coming to training going home, doing a little bit of homework, yeah, it actually fits my schedule quite well. So, yeah. Now, would I be right in assuming that while the players were out celebrating on Sunday night after winning the title, you were having to be tucked up in bed because you had school the next day? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I came home early and, um, yeah, I had school the next day. I had a little bit of sleep in but did come in for a chemistry test. so. <laughs> I guess that inspires you to go on and win more titles so that when you are old enough to, let's just say, fully integrate into the celebrations, <laughs> I guess that's the uh, the inspiration for you, right? Yeah, something to look forward to. 
Great stuff, great stuff. And going forward, I mean, obviously the season's finished now. What happens for you? Because obviously the, the W League's quite short. Um, I'm going to assume that you've got commitments with the Australian under-17 side. What what for you now moving forward? Uh, well, I have to play with my NTC squad, which is obviously, as I said, a state development squad. Um, I would be playing with under-17s, but we... We, our campaign campaign stopped as we didn't get into the World Cup like we did we didn't qualify for the World Cup last year mm-hmm. so our um, campaign with them has stopped so basically I'm just with NTC and I'm training with boys at the same time I just guess I'll just see what happens yeah don't really have any major plans but it must be encouraging for you that Okay, let's look beyond the under seventeens. There are some very young players in that national side, the Matildas, players like your teammate Steph Catley, who are, you know, eighteen, nineteen years old. You must be thinking, Do you know what, I'm not that far off. Yeah, it's quite it's quite scary to think that at five I was thought that the big names and the Matildas were such in, such something such so far away. But now that it's only, well, hopefully a few years away, it's quite it's quite scary but also exciting. I just have to focus on what I've got to do and day in, day out, and I guess um, not get too ahead of myself. No, definitely. Well, definitely sounds like you've got a level head on those shoulders, BT. We genuinely wish you the best with your football and your studies, of course, and we would encourage anyone to keep an eye on BT's career because it's clearly going to be one to look out for, a star in the making. BT, thank you very much for joining us on the show. No, thank you. The Women's Football Podcast. Follow the podcast on Twitter at WFPod. So that was all things Australia. Now, Kieran, why don't you introduce our third and final guest on this show? Yeah, no problem. As we mentioned in our intro, we uh, spoke to Christina Larson, who played for the Seattle Reign last season. She was released at the end of the campaign and she's decided to take a slightly different route this year. I think she's going to have a little bit of a break from competitive high-level soccer. And um, I decided to have a chat with her to see what she's been up to and what she's got planned for the future. Okay, so we're delighted to be joined by former Seattle Rain striker Christina Larson, who this year will be taking a slightly different focus in her working career. Christina, thanks for joining us on the show. Do you want to start off by telling us about a certain event that you've got coming up in May? Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Um, So we have the California Women's Conference. I actually now am the director of exhibitors for the conference and it's huge. It's been going on for about 28 years and we're expecting over 10,000 attendees this year. And uh, what the conference is, is basically gives women tools and resources to be successful in not only just their business and career, but their life as well. So it's a pretty huge movement that we're trying to do and empower women and just create something that's going to last for generations. So is this just women who are working in business or would it apply to, for example, women's soccer players or women's athletes in sport? Any and all women. I mean, it ranges from we have CEOs of major companies going there um, to, you know, a mom and her daughter wants to bring her daughter and go and see and witness and 
all these women that are doing things and are successful and they want to see how they could do that. Or, you know, we have like organizations that want to build higher careers for their employees, or we just have, um, an exhibit booth that's selling hair products. So, I mean, it's, it ranges from all sorts of like, well, obviously you've, you've fallen into this after a, a tricky season for Seattle rain in 2013. Obviously you were released at the end of the campaign. Is this now a case of you're not interested in soccer anymore, or are you just taking a break from the game? No, I mean, soccer, it's definitely always a passion for me ever since I was little. And I thoroughly enjoyed every single moment that I was with Seattle Rain. It was probably one of the best seasons that I've had, um, just from the players to Laura, everyone. I mean, it was amazing. And being released, it definitely was a little, you know, I mean, obviously it's going to be rough and I was looking to, you know, maybe possibly join another team. And when that didn't happen, I kind of looked at myself and said, I I can't lose the game. I want to keep playing. But then also in the back of my head, I said, I've been playing for so long, you know, and I want to start a career. I want to use maybe the skills that I've gotten from playing, from the experiences um, I've had and use it towards something else. And the opportunity kind of really just knocked into me. I uh, am a friend with uh, our CEO, Michelle Patterson. I'm family friends with, you know, little kids I coach around um, the neighborhood. And she kind of bumped into me, asked me what I was up to. I said, you know, just got back from Seattle, kind of figuring out what I want to do. And she's like, come work for me, come here about the California women's conference. And I hadn't heard about it before. And right away I saw this passion she had for the conference and the movement and the empowerment that it can give all these women. And I was like, wow, like I want to be a part of this. And so since that day, I've, you know, full force, um, been, you know, working on the conference, but definitely I've been playing, almost I think four or five times a week and I mean like I play in a women's league I play in a co-ed indoor league which is men and women and it's just awesome like I am still just playing my little heart out (laughs) I mean we we hear about players that are released by clubs in the NWSL and and by over here in England and some of them get picked up by other clubs but there are a lot that don't I mean how how do you respond to that? How do you sort of go about keeping yourself motivated to play the game when you're without a club? Well, I mean, for me, I believe everything does happen for a reason. And I believe my path kind of just took a little bit of a change. I mean, will I play again professionally? Possibly. I mean, it's I would love, love to suit up in Seattle rain gear or, you know, different club gear. I would love to do that. But right now I kind of realized that my path has changed a little bit and you kind of just accept it. And I felt, you know, I felt sad about the reality of, you know, not being with Seattle anymore, but I also took it as a positive thing and 
saying, wow, maybe this is my path. This is what I'm supposed to do. And at the end of the day, as I said, things happen for a reason and you kind of just got to roll with it and make the best out of your situation. And I couldn't be happier. So, I mean, it, it's, and it's frustrating at times because you want to be at that level that you know you can be at. But then again, you just got to go follow the path that you're on and believe in it. And that's what I'm doing. And I haven't been happier. No, and, and that's great. And obviously, before we started the interview officially, we were talking off the recording about co-ed leagues. It's not something that I was familiar with before we discussed it. And you were talking very much about the benefits to, to the development of your own game, to playing against men and women. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I love playing against guys. One, they're super competitive. And when you shove one of them up against the side of the wall and indoor and they're like, whoa, this girl can, is actually strong. You just, like, love that feeling. You technically, I mean, they're quicker. It's a lot of shots. It's, I love indoor. And playing with guys only makes me feel quicker and stronger. And I just, I love it. It's super competitive. And I don't know. I would play indoor every day if I could with guys. <laughs> and we... um I mean, in Germany, during the, the sort of the winter break that they have over there, they actually play not against guys, but the professional teams in Germany actually play indoor tournaments to sort of keep themselves fit and, and to obviously keep things competitive. Do you think that yeah. could be something beneficial in the, in the US game for maybe in the off-season for teams to play a bit of indoor soccer to develop different elements of their game? Oh, definitely. I mean, one day it was like pouring in Seattle and I we all just went in and played a little indoor tournament and it was fun and things were a lot quicker and you got to see a lot different. You would 11 aside, it's a lot of possession and movement of the ball and, you know, in indoor it's quick, quick little passes, one, twos, um, you know, shots from anywhere and I think it really helps with the technical aspect of your game, the quickness, movement off the ball. Like, I think it would be necessary. I mean, I would think it would only would help, you know. So off-season, anytime, I think it's good to add a little little mix to the to your game by playing indoor. No, oh, excellent. I think a uh, great idea by the sounds of it. Maybe we should uh, push for that one, you and me, Christina. We'll, we'll I know, right? <laughs> we'll campaign for that. We'll campaign for that. So looking beyond your conference in May, um, you're obviously playing your co-ed, you're playing in your women's league. You said maybe you would go back to professional soccer. How about the idea of playing abroad, perhaps? Oh, I've definitely thought about it and talked to a couple people. Um, I, one of my play abroad and if it's not this year it'll be next year so I mean it's in the works right now I just my focus is this conference but playing is always on the back of my mind um, whether it be you know abroad or professional again and I'm not done I'm definitely not done I'm kind of taking you know little break building up a career seeing you know different side of life per se instead of the soccer it's more business and I'm liking it but soccer's always on my mind so that's definitely definitely something I will be uh, pursuing within the next couple of years. Well, we really do hope that you pursue it do you want to finish off the interview Christina by telling people how they can find out a bit more about your conference in case they may be interested in finding out a bit more? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. So the California Women's, it's um, a huge, huge event. And what you can do to find out some more information is go to CaliforniaWomensConference.com. And it will tell you the location, the date of the conference, which will be May 19th and 20th um, at the Long Beach Convention Center here in California. Um, And, yeah, it's just an awesome, awesome uh, event that's going to be happening and huge movement. And I would love everyone to just check check out information, see what it's about, definitely. Okay, we'll check it out, guys. Christina, thank you so much for joining us on the show and the very best of luck with the conference and your soccer. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Definitely enjoyed it. The Women's Football Podcast. Listen to the podcast via SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash WFPod. Right, Kieran, we have to mention the Under-20s World Cup because we know the groups now, don't we? We do, yeah. The tournament which takes place in Canada later this year. The draw was made this weekend, so I'm going to rattle through the groups very quickly. Uh, We have in Group A, Canada, Ghana, Finland and the Korean Democratic People's Republic. In Group B, we have Germany, the United States, China and Brazil. In Group C, we have England, the Korean Republic, Mexico and Nigeria. And finally, in Group D, we have New Zealand, Paraguay, France and Costa Rica. And my word, Group B, that is the group of death, isn't it? Absolutely. Germany, USA, China and Brazil. How on earth have they all ended up in the same group? <laughs> well, it's good because obviously the US get the chance to get one over on Germany again. And I'm sure the Germans will be itching for revenge for what happened in the final last time. Yeah, we were talking about it before we, we recorded this part of the show, weren't we? That this tournament is a real indicator of the type of players that that can really come through I mean if you look at the players that played in the final two years ago players like Crystal Dunn Julie Johnston Keely O'Hay you know Maya Hayes all played Morgan Bryan you know with the exception of Morgan Bryan who is still in college but has already made senior international appearances they've all been drafted out of the college system this year so there's some big clubs as well yeah yeah some really really good players coming into the league which will be really exciting but then on the flip side you've had the German team which has got players like Leonie Meyer Louisa Vensing um, Leona Lotson or Lena Lotson sorry Jennifer Marijan all playing for top clubs in the Bundesliga so I think it's going to be a really exciting tournament how much access we'll have to it television wise over here in the UK I'm not too sure but yeah, really exciting. I remember watching the final between Germany and the US last in, in the last competition. wasn't the best final, but very, very competitive. Uh, and certainly from our point of view, England have quite a good group uh, and hopefully can go far in the competition. But uh, Kieran, that brings us to the end of the show. We've got to uh, do the usual links. You can find us on Twitter at WFPod. Or you can email us at thewfpod at gmail.com. And do you want to give the blog details? Yeah, the blog is the blog wordpress.com we're obviously on soundcloud which is soundcloud.com forward slash wfpod we're also on itunes and as hamish mentioned in the last show we recently joined sport lobster and you can find us on sportlobster.com forward slash wfpod i think that's all of them that's it and we should probably do some more on sport lobster because we've been a little bit lazy but anyway thank you very much for listening everyone we will be with you in a couple of weeks speak then goodbye The Women's Football Podcast, shining a light on the women's game.